Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 13th chapter, and can also be found in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the, ro when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. That is what it was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was, grown, was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Here ends our reading. Colorado has been on my mind this summer. The summers I knew there were largely carefree, spent sitting beside my black cat on my parents' back deck, soaking up the mid-morning sun. By afternoon, relaxing in the hammock, listening to the sounds of the swaying aspen my cat carefully moving through the grass on the day's hunt. Until the first drops of rain caught on my face, the rocks began to darken and the rolling thunder snapped. Jumping to the ground, swooping in to gather up my soft companion, making our way inside moments before the deluge came. Colorado was on my mind as I read of Isaiah's snow and rain from heaven. Reminded of that smell, of the first drops of rain, of the first snowflakes catching in my eyelashes. Looking skyward, entranced by the light coming through. Isaiah and Matthew offer us texts of hope this morning. Texts of longing with a good measure of nostalgia mixed in. Through Isaiah, God's words are spoken to a people who have been living in exile 
for many years and who are being beckoned to come home. Promise that they will go out on their journey in joy and find peace upon their return. For God's words affect change. They bring about what is promised. Just as the snow and rain water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall God's word be. It shall not return to God empty. A word of assurance to a weary people with a beautiful memory of home. You will return, and you will be met finally with peace. In Matthew's Gospel, a word of assurance is offered when the seeds sown are not being fruitful. The parable of the sower is not always received as a kindness. <laughs> Instead, we might hear it as an imperative to search our souls and figure out what it is that's preventing us from being good soil. Why don't we understand what Jesus is saying? It's not a very life-giving parable if that's the way we're meant to interpret it. A would-be parable of shame. Scholar J. David Wow suggests that the parable of the sower is meant to, quote, assist the disciples and perhaps Jesus himself in understanding why the response to the gospel message shared so consistently varies so greatly. It is a pastoral response to the question, why isn't my effort yielding fruit? Jesus' words are an invitation to remove the self-inflicted daggers of blame. The practice of the sower described in the parable would have been familiar to the audience of the time. Based on those practices, it becomes obvious, as Wa points out, that it isn't the sower's intent to waste seed, but to cast seed on whatever ground might produce the desired crop. Regardless of how good the seed is or how caring the sower is, some seeds sown in such a fashion will land on soil under less than favorable conditions and result in no growth, poor growth, or truncated growth. Both the sower and the seed are constant. And Wa goes on to say that some soils are labeled as bad, not because of any choice of their own, nor is the good soil good because of what it does or does not do to make it more productive. The good soil is good simply because its nature provides an environment in which the seed can be nurtured to full maturity. There is no need for undue blame. The sower is good. The seed is good. And the soil just is. Some soil's environment provides what is conducive to growing seed, and some soil has environmental factors that don't support growth. The Mathian community had significant environmental factors to contend with. They lived under Pax Romana, and they made it a practice in their daily lives, in their use of words, in their rituals, in their prayers, not to mention in major revolts, to resist 
the empire. Speaking of the kingdom of heaven, or of God as father, was in direct opposition to the rulers in power. There was real risk involved in taking up that project, in rejecting the norms and the wealth of Rome. Judgment is easy. The situation presents some real challenges to overcome. It's a given that not everyone is going to receive their message of this kingdom of heaven, allow it to fully take root and grow to maturity. But when it does take, even if it's just one out of four times, the fruit will be bountiful. The sower is good. The seed is good. There are a lot of environmental factors to contend with. And even still, your effort has not returned to you empty. One of the graces in life is not having to navigate it alone, having a confidant with whom to debrief the successes and trials of the day, whether that confidant be a partner or a friend, a therapist or a family member, a friendly tree or a beloved cat, they enable us to stay on the beam. I was recently caught up in a marathon of the TV series called Madam Secretary. And as I continued to watch, I began to take comfort that while the problems to tackle each day, each episode, varied, some things were always the same. Morning pastries and coffee. Impending failure. A drive to keep showing up with ingenuity. And the practice of debriefing with the secretary's confidant, her husband. Together, they rehashed all the ways things went sideways all the fears of coming up short, not just as the Secretary of State, powerful woman that she is, or as a person who held the lives of others in their hands, but as a parent, as a partner, as a socially conscious member of society. Gratefully, because the writers of the show decided to give its viewers some measure of assurance in a tumultuous world, when the coffee and the pastries and the ingenuity weren't enough, the confidant's presence was steadfast and grace-filled, even if honest. That combination, honesty, grace, and presence, helped release the arrows of judgment again and again. And though the secretary was not always able to do all that she had hoped, her effort did not return to her empty, even if it was simply contending with what it is to be human. The parable of the sower starts off a series of parables about the elusive kingdom of heaven this difficult-to-understand thing. And maybe part of the teaching 
is about letting go of judgment, acknowledging what simply is, and being a presence to one another as we try to stay on the beam. Maybe that is doing the work of sowing the seed when the rolling thunder snaps and the deluge comes, our gentle companions help us return home with peace.